0: Russell, and this is the details long read. This week, a story published on the spin off Make Voting Sexy Again by Nadine Ann Hurra. Now, there's no shortage of election coverage floating around right now, but Nadine's talking about the people who don't vote, who don't see the point. She writes that if those with the least wealth and privilege understood how much power they held collectively and exercised it at the polls, their voice could really make a difference. Nadine's joining us today to read her story herself. Kia ora Nadine. Kia ora, First of all, tell
1: us a little bit about yourself. Oh, well, um Nadine Hura Aho. Heuri aho no Ngātihine no Ngāpuhi. Um te pāpa, that's on my dad's fri- side from the far north. Uh, on my mum's side, I uh, hail from the River Mersey um, in the north of England. And I live in Te Whanganui atara. well, I live in Porirua to be precise, um, with my uh, three tamariki. And what is it about your life experiences that
0: makes you feel so strongly about the need to put those ticks on a piece of paper on election day?
1: Yeah, um, well, my motivation really stems back to the loss of my brother to suicide three years ago in 2020. He was uh, 47 years old and he joins um, a demographic of, of tāne Māori who are overrepresented at something like you know twice the rate of non-Māori And um, my brother, he never voted and he was proud that he didn't vote and he was staunch in his reasons. And uh, back in the election in 2017, I had a number of conversations with him about his reasons. And the more I listened to him and engaged with him, you can really see the validity of that view and that perspective but nonetheless I was still intent on persuading him that his voice really did matter and I think that I was making progress like I got him all the way to the polls um, that year but he didn't go in and I was sure that by 2020 I'd be able to convince him to go in but uh, sadly he was gone by then and and I think back to three years ago, and it's it's different time. It's similar. It's the same. You know, noise, um, debates, polls, and you know, at the same time, there's also just this immense silence of those who do not vote, can't vote, won't vote. To me, that silence speaks to disconnection. It's not on those who are disconnected to connect themselves. Um, there is a responsibility. Upon those with the power to make sure that this political system is representative, and so that people can see that there's a point, and that their voice, and that their experience, it matters.
0: So, when you talk about the your sort of ability to see the validity of your brother's view, are you talking about that disconnection?
1: Yeah. When I think back to his reasons, and and since. having more conversations with people just recently about their reasons why they don't vote you might think that you know certain arguments would be persuasive like you know statistically you know every vote matters um, and that might bring people out or that you stand to directly um, benefit or the opposite by a particular party being in power often I found that those arguments are not compelling for people, but speaking to people recently, one thing that's been really effective and it's been cool and I really want to encourage people to um, be aware of this, some people are really encouraged to vote by the knowledge that their vote could be of impact and value in support of another community. So voting in solidarity with others, particularly those who will be really negatively impacted by a particular outcome. So um, that's been really cool to be aware of. And I, I just really want to mention um, on that note the Triple the Vote campaign, triplethevote.nz, doing some really awesome mahi in this space. So those of us who do vote, identifying people who don't vote and talking to them about their reasons, listening and supporting them to you know, consider um, why they might vote and I think uh, that that campaign's been really successful um, overseas is my understanding and something other uh, also interesting about this is that before this campaign, I, uh, the triple the vote campaign, I didn't really think that it was that polite to talk to people about who they were going to vote for, you know oh, you make yeah. assumptions and this has kind of given me a bit of encouragement to just ask and um, for that not to be heavy on people or judgmental, oh. There's so much judgment around whether you vote or don't vote, and I, I, really, you know, I almost, I was a little bit embarrassed about writing um, this in the intro, you know, talk about not, I didn't know what the difference between left and right was, when, um, I, when I was <laughs> a young person, and. Yeah, I think it's really important in the context of voting that we don't shame people, mm. you know, like don't embarrass people because they don't vote and, you know, be more a bit more positive. Like, yeah, it's, it's hot if you vote, actually. <laughs> so vote tripling, in other words, have a conversation with three mates. Yes, yes, um, and identify, you know, for yourself who those people are. So I hit my, well, I hit my first target within the first few hours, so I was like, yeah, I'm on a roll, I'm going to go <laughs> to you know, six boats. But actually it's been harder than that after the, after that. But one of the people, just uh, to, to mention those who are overseas, the, the person that I spoke to just thought they couldn't vote but you can if you're overseas um mm. so people should check their eligibility
0: mm. i guess if you feel it doesn't matter who the government is my life's still going to be the same routine rubbish mire mm. that mm. i've always been in i mean i guess getting them to see that you okay if you're that disparate about it think about someone else you know think about the climate yes. or think about you know your friend who doesn't have a job
1: yeah Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a real responsibility. I'm not sure who's going to take up this responsibility, but to understand why people are not engaged and to address those barriers. It's not enough to say, oh, compulsory voting, that's not a solution. To me, you know, this focus on those who don't vote as though they're the problem you know we need to flip that like the reason that maori communities are disproportionately you know not voting is because it's directly a result of the fact that this system is not the one that our uh, ancestors signed up to uh, when when they negotiated te tiriti o waitangi so of course you know the system doesn't connect to a lot of people's lived realities and so I really think that we need to be putting more emphasis on what are the barriers within the system that prevent particular communities from feeling like it even matters like what is the point mm-hmm. that the conversations that I've had with people where they say when they ask me that when they flip the question back on me I, I get goosebumps because I'm like you know I, I feel you and maybe that's all it takes to just say yeah I get it you know, and you're right. And that's why actually at the end when I bring in this sort of weave in the prudako at the end is because I really want to find something that's beyond politics, you know, and beyond the fighting and the scrapping and the arguing and looking for what real leadership looks like and it was beautiful to to discover um, Ngākemiwātai these these po which I talk about at the end of the story and at Parliament down at Parliament because I, I was a little bit conflicted by what to make of that they were just um, um, unveiled a few months ago I believe and um, and it was when I sort of read a little bit about. Um, the the thinking the whakaaro behind that and around the duality and everything and how we have dark we have light we have feminine femininity and masculinity energies speaking of and uh you know brothers sisters lovers fighters and and we need all of this so you know the idea that we can only you know that participating because that was the point for my brother he felt that participating was legitimizing a system that he did not he did not believe in and did not represent him, and he he did not see as valid. And I think that's a, a fair position to have. But I don't think that casting a vote means that you don't also continue to fight. I think that we have to do both things at once.
0: OK, on that note, let's see how it all unravels in your story. Uh, this is Make Voting Sexy Again
1: by Nadine Ann My lover is walking around wearing a t-shirt that says, if the left vote, the left wins. It makes me laugh, not the slogan or the fact he's wearing election merch, but the fact that I understand what it means. I remember during my first year of university, my social policy lecturer pacing back and forth in front of the whiteboard, growing increasingly agitated as she attempted to break down the difference between the left and right wings in politics. When the historical slides reached the 80s and 90s, I put up my hand. Again. Hadn't the left just switched sides and become the right? What was the point of using a political spectrum to differentiate between parties if their policies were interchangeable at the so-called centre and indistinguishable at the extremes? My ignorance was mistaken for belligerence. It's the closest I've ever come to getting kicked out of a class. It might have been humiliating, if not for the fact that I knew I wasn't the only one encountering the deeply contradictory nature of New Zealand politics for the first time. In my household growing up, people were too busy working and surviving to have debates about political ideology. My mother always voted, and she cared about issues. But laws were made in another land, far away, it seemed, from the reality of putting food on the table and shoes on our feet. I didn't learn about politics or systems of government at home, and I wasn't enlightened at school. So I arrived at the polls at the age of 18, without a clue, and even less of a care. I didn't vote the first time I was eligible. I remember my boyfriend at the time looking down on me, he was tall, and asking, why in the hell not? Apparently it is unsexy not to vote. I shrugged and gave one of the most common answers non-voters give. My vote wouldn't have made any difference. Other common reasons people don't vote, according to Stats New Zealand's 2021 general social survey include, I didn't know who to vote for, I didn't like any of the candidates, I didn't know enough about the issues, it doesn't matter which party is in government. The belief that a single vote doesn't make a difference is a difficult one to overturn. My brother never voted once in the 30 odd years that he was eligible. His reasons were complex, understandable and valid. In 2017, I managed to get him all the way to the polling booth. I was sure I'd be able to convince him to go inside the next time around. But by the 2020 election, it was too late and he was gone. The silence of those who don't vote, around 17% of the total population, is loud. That silence is proportionately louder among Māori and Pacific communities. In 2020, according to Electoral Commission data, the percentage of eligible Māori who didn't vote was 27%. By comparison, 16% of non-Māori withheld their vote. What is that silence saying? And, crucially, who benefits from it? This is the underlying question the slogan on my lover's t-shirt wants us to ponder. The inference is that the wealth-havers, traditionally right-wing, as a percentage of the total population, are a minority. The majority, traditionally left-wing, are workers. These stereotypes can be shot apart in all kinds of ways, particularly when placed in the broader context of ecological collapse. But there is a seduction in the numbers. If those with the least wealth and privilege understood how much power they held collectively, and exercised it at the polls the same way a small number of wealthy people exercise it in political donations, their voice really could make a difference. This not-so-clandestine knowledge needs to be worn on t-shirts and reiterated over and over again until non-voters become convinced not only that their voice matters, but that voting is indeed sexy. One of the most perplexing things about electioneering is that it often feels like the most unlikely and unqualified people think that they know everything and should be in charge. Some leaders have a confidence that borders on arrogance. Humility isn't the virtue in politics that it is in community. Media interviews sound polished, inauthentic and monotonous. After a while... Policy announcements reach a crescendo of white noise punctured by phrases so familiar they sound like a turntable skipping over scratched vinyl. The reality is you have to be a human bullshit detector to make sense of the big ticket policy items like tax cuts and GST off fruit and veggies while not letting the spats about who's being squeezed versus who's being squashed draw your attention away from issues that at the end of the day cut right across the fiction of the political spectrum. Issues that cannot put more money in an individual's back pocket without a cost to Ranginui and Tuanuku, and therefore, by extension, ourselves. There are some genuinely decent and authentic people vying to enter Parliament but plenty of voters will turn up at the polls on October fourteenth, with nothing more to base their vote upon than the colours of the rainbow floating above a sea of unknown names. Mike, a retail salesperson from Porirua who didn't want to be identified, told me that he doesn't vote because he can't be bothered. Politicians are all as bad as each other, he says. I don't want any of them. Politics is a load of crap. You can't believe anything anyone says. My 21-year-old son sympathises with this view. He told me that an election is like a garage sale. You don't actually want anything they're selling, he says. I understand why people don't vote. It makes sense if you can see it's all just junk. You might find a marble you want, but you can't just have the marble. You have to take the snakes and ladders set as well, even though it's broken and you have no use for it. Paul Douglas, an astrophysicist and mathematician, says that it's worse than that, because whether you like it or not, you are coming home from that garage sale with something. You'll have to live with the government in charge, regardless whether you cast a vote or not, he says. Douglas understands the inclination not to participate in a system a person doesn't believe in, but as a statistician, he also understands intimately the power of fractions, however small. He says, the way that direct proportionality, or MMP, is designed, even the smallest voices can be heard. People might not realise just how powerful their voices truly are. Ultimately, this is the reason my son votes, despite his underlying apathy. He says, not voting is like not fighting at all. It's like giving up without trying. And that's actually what politicians want, because then they get to keep their power. It's important to me to know that if I got the chance, I took it. You don't fold without playing your hand. No matter how slim the chance, we've got to take it. It's my last fuck you to the whole thing. Media personality and Real maori advocate, Sunny Ngatai, credits his high school teacher, Pa Huna Black, with explaining the meaning of left-wing and right-wing to him. But sometimes, he says, I look at people and think, Does voting left mean that I care more about people and communities? Is that the difference between us? But surely voters on the right also care about people, and I also care about the economy. So you end up asking yourself, is politics about ideas and belief, or is it just about power? His question reminded me of something my friend Ruya Apirahama once said to me. Fancy titles don't make people leaders. Leaders are those whose examples inspire us to follow. I live close enough to Parliament to walk in its shadow every day, but I usually avoid it and take the waterfront. It's hard to find any connection between what happens inside those oak paneled chambers and what I truly care about. But this week I took a detour. At the foot of the stairs of Parliament, where so many petitions have been laid by defiant and visionary protesters over the years, I found myself gazing up, not into the eyes of a politician, but the iridescent power of the Tanifa siblings Ngāke and Whātāitāi. These carved po were unveiled a few weeks ago in partnership with Manafinua of Ati Awa. Like all Pūrākō or Māori creation stories, there are different tellings, but the one I like captures the deep connection between the pair. Like my brother, Ngāke was strong and feisty. Whātāitāi, like me, was more reserved and strategic. For eons, Ngake and Whātaitai lived in the freshwater lake that we refer to today as Te Tara, or Wellington. Before the lake was a harbour, Ngake and Whātaitai were contained, hemmed in, surrounded by cliffs on all sides. They could hear the waves of the great Moanarau Kawakawa crashing and calling beyond, and Ngake yearned to be free. He knew that this lake was not all there was. Whātaitai looked up to her brother and admired him, for she wasn't nearly as defiant or certain of the way. Eventually Ngāke broke free. Ngāke the protester, Ngāke the resistance fighter. He unleashed his coiled strength and smashed through the cliffs and liberated himself. Whātaitai wanted to follow but her strength was different. Her strength was collective rather than individual. I remember my brother raising his bottle to congratulate me on the election of my government back in 2017. I said, it's your government too, but he shook his head and assured me it wasn't. Looking up at the po symbolising ngake and whātaitai outside parliament, it occurred to me that the leaders we're looking for aren't in front of us but behind us. The lesson of ngake and wha is not about voting or not voting, it isn't about left or right or red and blue, it's about pathways to freedom. This system of government isn't all there is, that's a cross-party truth. But participating in the election, voting, doesn't mean that we don't also continue to protest and resist. There is duality to everything, that's the lesson. We need individual strength and collective strength. We need to protest and participate. We need lovers and fighters. Sometimes we need ngakes coiled in a strength to smash through. Other times we need to work together to dig our way out to the great ocean beyond. Today, Tai lies between the peninsula of Miramar and the airport. You can see her shape clearly when you fly in, or from the top of Mount Victoria – The real name of that place is Tangi Tekio, referring to the grief Whātaitai felt when she ascended the hill and looked down upon her stranded shape between the entrance to the harbour and Timuana Moana So the story goes, Whātaitai transformed into a bird. On a good day, you can still hear her calling out to her brother above the roar of the jet engines, taking off and landing and taking off again.
0: That was Make Voting Sexy Again written and read here by Nadine Ann Hura published at thespinoff.co.nz The details long read is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund We'll be back next week with another long read Ka kite anō